Welcome to Spelunking with Plato, a podcast devoted to conversations about liberal education, hosted by the University of St. Thomas's School of Arts and Sciences. Here, students and faculty are called, through the light of faith in the Catholic intellectual tradition, to ascend from Plato's cave, bringing others with them to a vision of the good and a life of human flourishing. Well, it's a pleasure to have Dr. Chris Evans here today as our guest. Uh, Chris earned his PhD from St. Louis University and is uh, an expert, a scholar of theology, particularly the Victorine expression, expressions of Christology and the spiritual life. It's good to have you here today. Thank you, George. Um, I should say a few other things about his background um, before we dive in. Um, in addition to the critical editions and translations that he has published of the Victorines, he has also edited and published editions of the works by Simon of Tournay and Hildegard of Bingen, taking his readers deep into the world of early scholastic and monastic history. And none of this would have been possible without extraordinary skills in the areas of medieval Latin, paleography, and codicology. But that's not all. Having scaled these intellectual heights, he has also served as the University of St. Thomas uh, a Professor of Theology, a Chair of Theology uh, in the Department of Theology, um, and Dean of the School of Arts and Sciences, and now is the Vice President of Academic Affairs. On top of all that, he and his son spend their free time fishing for alligator gar. Is that right? That's correct. <laughs> um, which, uh, if you look it up, which I um, eventually did, uh, it's described as a river monster that has been dis- uh, that has the most formidable as the most formidable fish in the world, with a long snout and two rows of prominent razor sharp teeth. And you do this for fun. That is for fun to yes. relax. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's a great pleasure to have you here, and um, and uh, we're going to be talking about a variety of things, um, including the renewal of the core here at the university. And um, so so let's let's get started. Um, the UST core, um, its history, its importance uh, today. I know you've given a lot of thought to this. Um, you know, in, in in light of the history of the university where we stand, the challenges we face. Um, what, what's it that, what are you thinking about in terms of the core at this particular moment of UST's life? I think the, uh, the, the core renewal was a, um, uh, importantly, a, a charge of the board as part of its restructuring efforts of the university to get the university uh, in a fiscally sound uh, condition. At the same time, it also wanted to use the opportunity to heighten its Catholic uh, mission and experience, and really one as envisioned by uh, the Basilian Fathers, uh, which is the sponsoring uh, religious institution. Um, Part of that charge then um, kind of prompted me to go back to the earliest undergraduate catalogs at UST, where you see the, uh, the influence on of the Basilians on the mission statement, the formation of the curriculum, and just see the evolution of that expression throughout the the undergraduate catalogs at UST through the years. I think it's important to note that, you know, while the Basilian Fathers and UST was contemplating its curriculum during the years leading up to 1947, we also see kind of a trend in higher education uh, towards a curriculum that becomes uh, very specialized. And, and we see the fruits of that today, right? And so I get trained as a theologian, but I'm a, I'm a dogmatic or historical theologian, right. not an ethic or biblical, I teach, right? And so, right. And so you, you, you start to see these, and then when it comes to hiring higher ed, it's not just hiring a historian 
or a biologist, you have to hor- hire someone within that specialization, right? Yeah. And so, uh, and so, you know, we see those trends, uh, particularly in the undergraduate education uh, within the last uh, 110 years, in particular. And that once you start specializing and then increasing those degree plans, and it starts chipping in that general education, right? And right. so, so we see a we see a movement towards that uh, specialization, and not all people were happy with it. There's a there's a quote just two years before UST, uh, even Harvard President James Komen lamented, and if I may quote this, sure. uh, we are living in an age of specialism in which the avenue to success often lies in his choice of a specialized career. Specialism is the means for advancement in our mobile social structure. Yet we must envision the fact that a society controlled wholly by specialists is not a wisely ordered society. We can't, however, turn away from specialism. The problem is how to save general education and its value within a system where specialism is necessary. And so you, you see him lamenting this movement, which is necessary, right? And so, and I, I guess applicable today, UST has launched engineering degrees, right? right. Uh, mechanical, electrical. Uh, that's going to be an, an ABET accredited degree, which it has to be. Uh, and by those accreditation standards, it's a 75-hour degree, right? right? So, and then when you envision an undergraduate curriculum at 120 on top of the 25, you you can start to see how the specialism chips into that general education. And I think the the early Basilian fathers were were seeing this trend, were recognizing it, and I think for their own part, uh, they they were trying to mitigate these tensions as well, yeah. and. And, and primarily for the Basilians in the earliest catalogs, you can see that they concretely identified the mission of the university with that jet ed curriculum or what we call the core. Uh, so that's that's very important. Mm-hmm. And there was a statement in the very first catalog of UST, and you can see this is kind of the Basilian approach to mitigate these two areas. Uh, they say, quote, this educational ideal, it must be frankly stated, is primarily cultural. Its objective is the education of the whole, and I'll insert person, is preparation for life on all human levels as opposed to a restricted professional formation. Today, we wouldn't use the word formation, probably training, right? Professional training. Mm-hmm. But in fairness, To it, we must immediately add the observation that the content of this program is such as will serve in addition to giving a liberal education to provide the graduate with an adequate preparation for such professional careers as law, medicine, dentistry, sociology, and to some degree the various branches of the scientific engineering. And so uh, already embedded within within the, uh, the coherent educational vision of the early fathers was really to provide that that broad formation, the formation of the human person, and we use formation because it's uh, it's exercising a habit, or you know, right. and uh, right. uh, as far as like training, like learning how to use Excel. Yeah. Um, but also acknowledging that this is also in service to the to professional, right? And so, um, and much like Newman, right? When Newman started his university. It's important to note that he also had engineering, right, within it. He did. So, he did. So, well, and, and, uh, yeah, and what's interesting about this is that some different cultural forces. On the one hand, the Basilians are very much echoing um, 
Uh, in fact, we're, we're tomorrow, uh, uh, faculty, staff, students are going to be gathering together to read um, on, on, on Christian education um, by Pius XI, um, which you know, comes from a, a very different age, in term, but, but still in the 20th century. Right. But that emphasis on the formation of the whole person, ordered to their ultimate end, but also realistic in the need to um, supply the, the, the needs here and now of a career and of a life and those, those physical needs that just come from needing to work, right? But, but that emphasis on forming the whole person and the, the idea that the liberal arts are at the very center, that was, that's, you know, those things are echoed, you know, or, or in some sense prefigured by Pius XI. But also, interesting, culturally at this moment, the pressure of, um, of Taylorism, you know, and, and mm -hmm. Henry IV, this need to sort of specialize so yeah. that you can be more efficient. Yeah. And yeah. to what extent, you know, was that, suppose, that need, that need to become more and more specialized, in some sense, a consequence of those larger forces? It's hard to know. Right. Uh, but clearly, the Basilians were trying to find a way to navigate the perennial mission of Catholic education. Um, along with those demands of the, of the time. Um, yeah, and, and you see uh, for the early curriculum, which was, by the way, at the time, a very robust curriculum because it was more or less a general studies, right? And then you see the degrees added later. So, But I think there were uh, a couple characteristics of the early core. Number one, it was very large, right? And so, But at the time, it, you know, they didn't start with engineering and nursing and whatnot. Right. Um, it was very uh, distributive, which was very popular in the higher ed movement at the time. And so each semester you would take at least one theology, one philosophy, this. So it was, you know, and then that led to a very prescribed curriculum. And so mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of latitude. Uh, what ended up happening and as UST was growing, particularly in the 1970s, as you start to see the expansion of these professional degrees, right? right. Uh, it's always embedded there and that educational vision, but we, we don't start to see the execution and implementation of that until the 1970s. And so in 72, for example, we started nursing. 1978, we launched the MED program in the School of Education. 1979, we launched our MBA program. Also meaningful is we launched the Center for Domestic Studies, right, which right. is also important. And what you see then, when you see these uh, very heavy requirement BABS degrees being introduced in the curriculum, then it's going to really challenge that gen ed curriculum. And so what's the place of these on top of the curriculum? And uh, what you start seeing then is this is where you start seeing a, a shift in the in the gen ed curriculum at UST. Uh, in the catalog in 1981, it actually acknowledges this tension, right? Mm -hmm. It says, quote, UST has not lost sight of the broadening and deepening experience provided by the core curriculum and the humanities and science. And so the, the early, the, the academic leadership at the time had to acknowledge that, right? right. And so, um, and to overcome it, they still say that the core curriculum forms an integral part of all the programs. And so it's used in that part whole right. as a constitutive part. But what ended up happening through the years, particularly after 1981, um, up until today, is that that the, uh, that the core was still distributive. And so, for example, you took X number of theology, X number of biology, X number of this, right? Uh, but what ended up happening, it lost its, uh, its sequencing. And so before you took this and this and this, hmm. 
and the what ended up happening after 1981 is you lost that sequencing and so you could take any random sequence of course at that time uh, another significant change needless to say it's become smaller right right and so it went down to you know 69 hours down to in the when I first got here down to 59 hours and now the new core is envisioned around 45 hours um, but nevertheless during this time you still see that statement it's an integral part right and so now this is where I, I would have a, a humble criticism right of UST's history in this um, and it, it, it does it is a problem I think worth contemplating and so I would argue that that while the core was no doubt an integral part, that is, I think it's constitutive of the curriculum of UST, and that's always important because that's where we want to identify the Catholic mission, right? And we don't want to lose sight of that. But I would also, in a humble criticism, argue that it probably never became an integrative part because of its just strict distributional requirements. And I would even argue that it never really became a coherent part given the lack of sequencing, right? And so, and I think what ended up happening and, and probably not intentionally is that the core and the genetic experience, which in my mind should be the, uh, the common unifying experience of all U.S. You know, I, I like to use sacramental language that right. somehow when you're a UST graduate, it leaves an indelible mark on your soul, right? And it's that core that provides that. And so, right. um, but with the loss of that coherence and the loss of the, um, the integration, perhaps we lost some of that, right? Um, and we couldn't assess it, right? Um, was our core successful? It was very difficult to assess uh, that question. Uh, primarily because what ended up happening is the core now becomes essentially during this time introductory to majors, right? And so the distribution of the requirements was really an, uh, an introduction, not to the formation of the whole human person per se, but to the introduction to the biology and its methods, right. to the social sciences and its methods, and not just social sciences, but the behavioral psychology and whatnot. Um, the, because it lost its sequencing, it became a Chinese buffet, right? There was about maybe 220 permutations of the core pathways, you know, with that kind of distributor. Uh, so you could take this or this, or you can move it into your senior year, right? right? And, so, uh, and so it really lost that, that integration and connection with the whole UST experience. Um, and, and then, of course, becoming smaller, right? Um, is, is I know is a tension uh, with some folks as well. Well, and I, if I, I like I like the way that you play with the word integral and its cognates. So, <laughs> I mean, the idea that it would be a whole, it would it would it would have an integrity is is really interesting, and I, I think clear. And, and if you see the core online, if you look, you know, and we have the older core is still there online, but um, if you if you look at the, the the sheet, the PDF that's up, you go, oh, wow, this is this is this is rich. This is strong. Right. Um, but then the way it's lived out um, and the way in, in terms of the, the, the life of, of the typical student, it's as you say, it's it's incoherent. Right. But I like how you go from integra integral um, to integrative or integrating, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that it goes from being almost this, it's whole, but it's almost inert within this larger structure Correct. to a kind, of, um, a kind of sun, if you will, that has this gravitational pull. And it's, it's what gives life to what's going on at the rest of the university. It's what um, kind of keeps everything else in its proper order and proportion. And I think that's the vision for the renewal is that it may be 
in some sense smaller in terms of the credit hours, but it exerts a force that may be unlike any core at UST since the first one, um, right. because it has a coherence, it has sequencing, and it 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 provides the answer why to the question why for UST. Yeah, but um, I I think to get there we needed to make some structural changes as well right. because you know one of the one of the also outcomes was that you know you had a core curriculum that was a constitutive part, but frankly nobody really owned it because it was an introductory to the majors. And so when when you had to make, if you had to make changes to a course, it was an intro course. It was the department that did it, and it was hard right. to really get all those connections in place. Uh, if you had to make changes to the core, it was usually done by a committee based on representation, you know, and and. You know, not all of us think about core and Catholic and intellectual tradition, right? right? Um, and so, I, I felt like there was the need, and the restructuring provided an opportunity for this. Is that okay? So, if, if the core is going to be that one experience that leaves the indelible mark, and we want it to be coherent, then the the idea, and, and this was actually came up as a recommendation from some of the faculty, was. Um, well, let's envision the core like a department then, right? And right. then the, that department then, like any other major, has curricular oversights. And obviously, because it's it's borrowing from the disciplines, we still need the genetic requirements. There's got to be that collaborative, act, you know, and the people teaching in it need to satisfy those requirements. But rather than developing something on a committee, which oftentimes is never the best approach, let's right. let's bring the people into it who have the vested interest and want to teach it, and let's make them the subject matter experts on how we. And so, and so when we we envisioned a new core uh, that's coherent, um, I think that was a very important part in the right. process, right, uh, to lead the way. Uh, we have Dr. Andrew Hayes, who's considered the, the chair of the core department, right? And proposals go through that, then through the curriculum committee, just like we do with any other academic unit, right? Um, right. And so I, I think that I think that's going to provide a pathway forward. And this also taps into when, uh, when Richard got here, Dr. Ludwig, our new president, uh, he really wanted to create this real... Catholic identifiable vertical, you know, right. in UST. One of the issues, you know, with a core that's just an introductory is that usually the student learning outcomes are driven by the majors, right? And and there's no coherent process of that formation of the whole human person within that. By making the core its own department, now you have core goals uh, that then can be identified in all the, the courses in some structured, coherent right. way. Uh, now the idea is that rather than the major programs, you know, uh, dictating the student outcomes of the core, now the core has its own outcomes then that can be moved into the major programs, right? right? And so now we're aligning core goals with outcomes in major. And again, as that indelible mark on the formation human person, whatever pathway, specialized pathway you take after the core, there should still see, seem some coherence of that right. formation within the major, and then we can track that at the end, right? Um, eventually, I like to see how we can integrate graduate program, you know, within that. But by that approach, it, it essentially, in terms of how we assess, you know, how we envision uh, the formation, it really puts the core at a foundation in a way that I think was never achieved before, and so, and. And obviously, given that we do have engineering, and I'm very proud of that, 
Uh, we do need to envision a core that's a little smaller, right? Um, because we don't want students to have to graduate for 150 hours, right? right. So we do right. have to make that accommodation. Um, but, you know, I think we've done it in such a way that we can concentrate that type of formation we look for. I think we can do it probably better in 45 hours than what we are trying to achieve in 59 hours, for example. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the um, other things that we're doing here, which is unique in, um, in history, is that, is that we're, we're attempting to give this liberal education to everyone. Right. Um, and, you know, if, if this were some sort of elitist project where we were only educating people who didn't have to think about money or how they were going to make a living or provide for families, then maybe we could have, a, you know, a much larger core and then they can worry about how they're going to make a living afterwards. Right. Um, but no, this is a compromise that we're making because we, we believe that liberal education is for everyone. Right. Um, and, and that's 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 the part of the part of the balance here. Um, yeah. And I do. You know, when I'm in board meetings, and I try to explain this to board members and others who don't think full time on this. Right. You know, this, this, the, what the humanities and the liberal arts um, is providing in this core experience, I think is, is perennial, right? I mean, right. it's lasted 2,000 years. It's right. going to last another 500 years. And I always remind, you know, when UST's here 500 years, we're going to still have these mission aligned types of programming. It's, it's constitutive of who we are as UST. Right. Um, I don't know what, and what nursing is going to look like in 500 years or business. Right. And so, but I know we're going to still read Plato. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're going to still and, read and Aristotle. And listen to Beethoven. I'm just going to put a plug in for Beethoven. And I'll say the Victorines. Right. So, you know, yeah. so this is, this is still a part of who we are, but having, Really to also acknowledge that, um, you know, we don't have a hundred hour core. We're not right. a great book. We don't have a single BA degree. Uh, we do have these professional degrees uh, that, uh, that we have to persist students through. And so, but in a lot of ways, I think that's the unique value proposition of UST, right? right. You know, if you want nursing, you want engineering, and you want to go to a Newman Guide Catholic school, there's not a lot of options, right? And right. I think UST is a very viable option for that. And so, yeah, well, and I think what's so interesting is, um, is that I don't think that this kind of thing is happening anywhere else. Um, and I think I really like the, 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 the description of renewing the core or the core renewal, because I see this as a kind of resource moment. We're going back to the sources, not only the sources, as you clearly studied, the sources uh, at the founding of UST, the, the Basilian vision at the founding, um, and kind of trying to rethink the core in continuity with that. We're also opening ourselves up to the, the sources about what Catholic education is and has been, what liberal education has been, going all the way back to Plato and, and to today, you know, Hugh of St. Victor, um, Joseph Pieper, Cardinal Newman, all these people, and many James, Father James Shaw, all these people who have contributed in one way or another. Um, and I think what also is interesting is that we're discovering that there is a kind of, and I know this is a term of, of, of the trade, uh, a subject matter expert. There's almost a kind of subject matter expert about liberal education, right? There are, and it's, it's not, they, they didn't earn a degree in it, but we have faculty among us who have for 
a large part of their lives as students, perhaps, but also as, 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 as um, scholars and as teachers, they've reflected on and read deeply about what liberal education really is. What are its purposes? What are its means? What, what are the texts that are involved? And then how does this fit within Catholic education? And so what's interesting is, is at UST, what's happening is these people are, are beginning to come together and have conversations outside of formal meetings, outside of formal, formal settings. And we're, we're building a culture. Um, that I think is going to allow the, the core to breathe and its roots to go deep. Um, but I don't think of any, in, I can't think of any other place in America where this kind of thing is happening at a university, a comprehensive university with a liberal arts core. Yeah, and I it's extremely exciting as someone who's only come to UST recently. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of uh, educational, even practical values to it. So if you think of, uh, the way that most cores within its distributive model. So you have the natural science, for example, you have the social science, right? Um, and it's not just a natural science that could be satisfied through chemistry, biology, right. physics, astrology, right? And then the way that most universities, and, and I think necessarily so within a distributive model is that the intro to bio is not an intro to bio for the formation of the human person. It's right. to train the person in the discipline introduction, right? And so, so it loses that uh, it doesn't have that primary focus on the human person. It has the focus on the human person who wants to become a biologist, right, right. per se. And so, um, and then at that at that point, usually the classical text is when the natural sciences sometimes don't have a place, you know, in that kind of curriculum. Uh, if you envision that a core that's not an introductory to a major, so there is going to be a natural science component to it. Uh, we haven't worked out the details of that, sure. obviously, but. Right. What we know is that it's going to be a course that's not an intro to a major, so you could have someone in chemistry, biology, physics actually teach it now. Right. Right. So now if I'm hiring someone to teach in the core, it provides a lot of latitude that, oh, I'm not just looking for a cell biologist. I can, it, it, it opens up the playbook, so to speak, on right. how you can fit into that. And then, and so, and that's actually, uh, from a cost perspective, that's actually a less expensive core then, right? right? And so I don't have to hire three people to teach intro courses. I can hire, you know, and then I get bigger uh, and get a better formation out of it in that sense. Um, I think that's the unique thing, envisioning core with that kind of consistency right. um, in it um, and to allow faculty uh, from multiple disciplines to be able to participate. It also opens it up to other schools. And so if you think of like nursing, traditionally nursing faculty don't have a place in a core curriculum. Uh, but we do have some nursing faculty with a strong liberal background who I think can play a part in this new core. And before, there would be no role for them in this, right? And think of education as well and business outside of uh, macro and micro, there were no core courses from business, right? But uh, right. so it, it, it allows for the, the faculty who've been imbued in that 2000 year intellectual tradition and have the skills to integrate that in this, in this perspective that here I'm here to form the whole human person. Right. These disciplines provide the means to that. Um, and, you know, in the end, it's probably going to be a, a, a text-based one as well. There's going to be a common reading, right? Right. And we'll talk about Hugh of St. Victor yeah. in a moment, right? So, yeah. Well, and so, it, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so well, I think by, by the end of that, I think you're going you're gonna to have, if I'm offering 15 sections of the same core class, there's going to be some continuity and consistency in those. But because of the diversity of the faculty background in them, 
they're going to allow to bring their charisms into that as well sure. to enhance it. And so I, I, it, it's an interesting model. Uh, I'm yeah. very excited about it. And, and, um, and, and we'll, 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 we'll assess it. Right. And so, yeah, well, it's interesting. You've, you've brought a lot of things in. I, I, you know, I think in addition to, um, I mean, we're in, we're in the process now of having conversations and receiving feedback on the initial set of courses that have been developed and approved. It was, they were approved unanimously by the core curriculum, um, as well as a general outline of, the, of this range and types of courses. Um, but I think this is the goal here is to, is to really for this to be a conversation across the entire university, right? To get feedback. Um, Plato said, you know, the truth emerges in dialogue, right? right. So um, we all have partial perspectives. So. You know, I think just this week I'm having I'm having a conversation with an alumna of the university. We have a group of students who are going to be coming together to discuss this. Um, I've been having meetings with the faculty for the last few weeks. We want we want to get feedback um, and uh, and have a larger university wide conversation. But to your point, I think the goal is to is to include as many aspects of the university as possible, not only in the preparation of the core, but also. Um, also, and it's, it's teaching. I mean, we are going to have core fellows who, and this is going to be in their contracts as part of their appointments. But there will, but people who want to teach in the core, um, who maybe don't start out as core fellows, we're going to have ways for that to take place. Um, I'm envisioning, and this is just this is a back of the envelope uh, plan. But I'm envisioning summer seminars where people who want to, who have a particular interest in teaching in a particular area coming in and um, basically working through the readings for the course with those who've taught the course already. Of course, there'll be food and there'll be drink there <laughs> and we'll have, but it'll be a, a kind of Socratic seminar around these texts. Um, and to your point, it, as an indelible mark, I think what um, part of this will be from sharing many of the same texts. Yes, the, the individual faculty member will bring their own, their own vision and some of their own contributions to this, but no matter what section you're in, there are going to be common texts across that course. Um, and uh, to go back to something you said earlier about the, the Catholic vertical, could you say a bit more about what that looks like? Are you imagining a kind of pillar that holds the whole university together at a central, central point? What, what, what do you, could you say a bit more about this, about this phrase? Well, I think, um, I think consistent with the early Basilian um, educational values, uh, the core curriculum was always the special place uh, in the life of the university where you, where if you wanted to talk about Catholic identity, you can point to it, right? right. And, and one thing you often say is that Catholic mission can be this, you know, indelible concept that's hard to pen down, right? And so I, th I think there was a need uh, to calibrate, you know, what we mean by Catholic mission, we're a Catholic liberal arts institution, and be able to say, there it is, right? And so... And I think the I think the the core is a very important place for that, and can help us set the tone for it. Uh, it also, you know, since uh, Dr. Ludwig became president, uh, there's been a, a, a renewed interest to hire towards mission, right? And what does that mean? And we could talk about that in a little bit as well. Yeah. But if we think of the type of uh, faculty who's going to teach in this core, there's got to be there's there's got to be some kind of uh, skill that the faculty brings in integrating those texts from the Catholic right. intellectual tradition, integrating it today within the classroom. Um, and so, you know, when, when we say, what do we mean by higher towards mission? It's like, what can you teach in the core? Right. right. And so right. Uh, the core is an identifiable mark of that. Uh, so I, I kind of pinpoint Catholic mission and identity 
both to curriculum and to faculty, right? Exactly. And, so, right. and I know there's more to it than that. Sure. Um, sure. I think it brings some transparency in what we mean by it. I think, you know, if I end up failing a search because of mission alignment, it's much easier to explain, right? And so, right. Uh, but I also, as I suggested before, in terms of in higher education, we do have to track student success and what that means. And we usually do that with what we call student learning outcomes. Right. Um, it now it, it could now elevate the student learning outcomes of the core and then bring in major programs into alignment with those rather than vice versa. Right. Right. Yeah. And so and yeah. so I think and so we could have outcomes at the end of all the majors where we can assess, okay, so those formation pieces that we try to, you know, habituate in the core, how have they been how do we see their growth and their strengthening at the end of each of the majors, right? And so we can embed those assessment piece to track that as well. Um, and and that's, that's kind of what I mean, that the core can really be an, the focus of our institution, you know, drive. Yeah. Now, again, we want, I want students to be engineers and biologists, right? Uh, but really when they, when they come to UST, our focus is that not that they're biologists, but they're a human person. Right? right. They're going to be a doctor, um, but we want to focus that it's going to be a human person who will become a doctor, and not a doctor who happens to be a human person. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's just it's just really switching that emphasis, right? Um, yeah. Which in itself can be a substantive change, right? Right. Um, but without yeah. radically. Right. You know, changing but not in, not not in the accreditation sense. Right. right. <laughs> so, so we'll go to like yeah. I just, there's so much here. We I feel like we've just scratched the surface. But um, I'm grateful for for your time and for at, at the beginning of this conversation. We're going to have to continue it. But um, thank you so much for coming by. And um, and I know you're extraordinarily busy. I get a lot of emails. You get ten times the emails I get. So I'm I'm very grateful for this uh, for this. So thank you very much. Thank you, George.